Don't turn it off now. You need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tantalk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Where can you find the best tasting authentic Caribbean food in Tampa Bay? It's all at Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant in downtown Largo. Island Vibes has delicious jerk chicken, fresh seafood, Caribbean soup, salads, sandwiches, and more. Don't miss happy hour from 4 p.m. to close and live entertainment on Friday nights. Check out Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant at 351 West Bay Drive in Largo or call 727-240-4420. To check out their amazing Caribbean menu, visit SweetIslandVibes.com. Hey guys, this is Robert from Nostalgic Rating Cars, and you know I dig stuff out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a shop in town specializing in vintage, retro, mid-century collectibles. Everything from toys, games, pinball machines, video games, fashion items, TV lunch boxes, slot cars, models, and more. Bobby, what's the name of that store? The, the Cool shop. shop. Yes, located at 9265 Seminole Boulevard in Seminole, Florida. Give them a shout, 727-201-9489. TheCoolShop.com. Incredible attack on Pearl Harbor, as told from both the United States and Japanese sides. Once two nations made war, today they have collaborated to make a motion picture of unequaled magnitude and importance, recreating the actual events leading up to the day that changed the course of history. An unprecedented film, bringing you answers to one of the most controversial mysteries of our age. How could the attack on Pearl Harbor have happened? Colonel, sir, if we do spot something, what do we do? Report it to headquarters, damn it. How, sir? We haven't got a telephone, sir. There's a gasoline station about a mile down the road. They must have a phone. Why was one nation unprepared while another was geared for war? Why did the plan for the sneak attack split the Japanese high command wide open? Fleet should have stayed in San Diego where it belongs. I made the mistake of pointing that out to Roosevelt. Why was Admiral Yamamoto marked for assassination by the Japanese warlords? Does anybody trust anybody anymore? Why was the President of the United States office considered a security risk? How did the Japanese rehearse their doomsday attack on Pearl Harbor? Damn it, why can't Washington give us the full inside story? Why did they keep the American command in the dark? What part was played by the strange Japanese officer they called Gandhi 
How did U.S. intelligence know of the attack before the Japanese ambassador did? What was the fateful blunder made by Admiral Nagumo? How was a mighty Japanese task force able to race 4,000 miles across the Pacific undetected? What caused the notorious radar error? Yeah, well, don't worry about it. Here's a message for the commanding general of Fort Shafter. Uh, is it marked urgent? No. Why was Washington's last urgent warning sent by ordinary telegram? The sun came up, the bombs came down, and the world came apart. For the first time, a motion picture tells what really happened at Pearl Harbor. I'm broadcasting. Hey, this is comedian, author, and most importantly, vintage race car driver Adam Carolla telling you I love nostalgic radio and cars. Welcome, you are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, I'm your host, Robert. Running your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, and if you've missed any of our past shows, they are archived on our podcast page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? How about the uh, social media? You want to do that for us? Yes, we are on Facebook, Twitter. LinkedIn, Periscope, YouTube, at Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and at NRC on air. Yes, how about that? Well, tell you what, I don't want to say Happy Pearl Harbor Day because tomorrow's December 7th, but uh, tomorrow, as the quote went, is a day that will live in infamy, and that was Pearl Harbor Day, 1941, December 7th, 1941. And uh, so uh, a special tribute goes out to uh, all the people that uh, may still be alive that uh, were around during that time. And, of course, naturally the soldiers and stuff. And, of course, a couple of weeks ago we had Veterans Day. And a uh, big salute to all our uh, our armed services veterans and uh, anybody involved in the military. Now, the other reason December 7th is actually kind of significant to me is because December 7th, 1972, okay, 1972, for me is a little day of infamy because— uh, that was the day I piled up my first car. On December 1st, 1972, I bought my very first car, which was a 1965 Austin Healey MK3 3000. Phase one, really cool little car. I paid a big whopping, whopping $475 for it. The only thing I had to buy for it to make it run and drive was a battery. And uh, it was sitting actually right down the street here off of uh, Clearwater Logger Road behind O'Keefe's under a big oak tree. So my mom and I went to go look at it, and they were asking, I think, seven fifty for the car or something like that. 
And uh, so I looked at it, and it was kind of cool. Now, I had been looking at 356 Porsches, and I have been looking at uh, other Heelys. And uh, and how I got onto the Healy thing, my first car, obviously, that I wanted really, really, really bad was a 69 Shelby convertible. And I almost bought one. Came really, 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 really close. Problem was, the insurance was going to be expensive. But the car that I was chasing was owned by a guy by the name of John Feely, and I used to see the car running around Clearwater. It was a Royal Maroon 69 Shelby GT500 four-speed convertible, white top, white interior. Kind of a cool piece. So uh, over the summer, it kind of vanished. I had no idea where it went. So in the meantime, I was scouring the countryside, Tampa, Clearwater, Largo, Dunedin, all over the place, St. Pete, Sarasota, looking for a Shelby. Couldn't find one. Found numerous Mustangs, but... Somehow, my buddy and I, and we were in the little dirt bikes back in the day, and we used to, I used to ride a little Harley Shortster, and he used to ride a pea green Yamaha 100. So, uh, Mark, if you're listening, this goes back. Well, his brother had a 62 Austin Healey, and Mark's dad had bought him, and they were doing a father-son project, a little bug-eye Sprite Austin Healey. Now, I'm sure Alan's probably listening, because Alan had a bug-eye Sprite. So, and Alan will probably call in and have to comment on this in a few minutes. So, anyway... <laughs> So let me go move on here. So what happened was is, uh, so now I got this thing for Heelys. You know, even though I'm a German car guy, and if I wasn't going to buy a Shelby, I was going to get a, a little 356 Porsche because my dad always wanted one. And um, and when I grew up in California, they were everywhere. And because uh, California's got the, probably the highest concentration of 356s in the whole country. So anyway, uh, I started looking for Heelys because it just had kind of a neat look to it. There's something about a Heely. It had a true classic British car lines, you know, like, but it had a 50s sports car look to it. Now, naturally, a friend of mine in high school had an E-Type Jag. That was uh, Bobby Jadis. He had a 61 Roadster. At the time, we didn't know how rare the car was, but he always had mechanical problems, electrical problems, and, of course, it was rusty. So, uh, and he tried to sell that to me for 500 bucks. 500 bucks, 61 Jag E-Type Roadster. Nah, I wasn't smart enough to buy that. So, uh, but at any rate, so uh, I was looking at Healy's, and I was over at, uh, Jim Chris Auto Fair, and the guy there says, well, look, you know, if you, if you can't afford this Healy because it was like 1500 bucks, and the 356 I was looking at was like 1400 1500 bucks, although there was one for about 800 bucks, but $800 was a lot of money in 1972. So he said, well, you know what? I go to get lunch every once in a while over there at O'Keefe's, and behind O'Keefe's I saw an old Healy for sale. Why don't you go check it out? Sure enough, I did. Sure enough, I bought it. And uh, on the day of, which was December 1st, we ran over to Sears, which used to be over at uh, Searstown on Missouri Avenue, we picked up a, a battery, I put it in the car, and off I went. I finally, finally, at the age of 16, ripe age of 16, I had independence. had my own car. It's pretty cool. Now, when did I get my driver's license? October 25th, 1972. That was on a Monday, and I borrowed a friend of mine's 1970 Camaro RS. It was Mary. She was uh, the girlfriend of one of our friends, and he had a Mustang, but he was sharing it with his twin sister. That was Bob and uh, and uh, Debbie. And uh, he says, well, maybe you can get Mary to take you up there. So Mary took me over to Searstown, to the Department of Motor Vehicles. I went and got my license, passed the test, although I flunked parallel parking, which, believe it or not, in the Camaro, come on, really? But anyway, but I just wanted to get through it. I passed it, got my driver's license. I was totally enthralled, okay? And uh, so in the meantime, you know, the month and a half there, I was on a quest to try to find a car. So I buy my Healy. I'm real proud of it. I go to school. You know, everybody thinks it's really cool. We got small engines class. It's really neat. You know, wow, hey, Moki's got a car. Moki's got a car, you know. And, uh, you know, because I was 16 in 10th grade. And um, so, at any rate, uh, it need, it had a bad exhaust leak. Not to mention when I picked the car up, the day I got the car, I rolled the carpeting back, and it was full, I mean full, of cockroaches. There was like a million of them things in there. 
you know, that which is a state animal for Florida. Now, coming from California, a cockroach, really? I mean, we never saw those things. And um, so at any rate, uh, it had, uh, the floors were kind of robbed. But the car overall was solid, but the typical floorboard issues and a little bit in the dog legs, that was normal. But other than that, it was a pretty cool little piece. Wire wheels, and it was an English car because the speedometer was in kilometers. Instead of having 140, it, the, it was uh, 220. And um, it was red, black interior. Pretty cool piece. So, but the exhaust was bad. So I worked real hard that week, saved my money, mowed a couple extra lawns and all that kind of crap. And I finally went to uh, Midas Muffler on Gulf of the Bay and I bought an exhaust system. Problem is, is the correct exhaust system, which kind of crosses over in the back underneath the fuel pump and comes out on the right side, was going to cost me an extra $30, $40. So the guy there, AJ, he goes, well, I'll tell you what we'll do, Robert. We'll just go ahead and run the pipe underneath there and come out on the driver's side. That's We'll just make it kind of like a straight pipe coming off the muffler and that'll save you about 30 40 bucks. And I said, fine, let's do it. So here I am. I got my new exhaust system on. The car sounds really, really, really cool because they put a trick muffler on it for me. And uh, the next morning on the way to school, I'm diddy-bopping there leaving Clearwater Beach because we lived in Clearwater Beach, and I'm coming around there where the post office is. And this chick comes up behind me in a 73 Nova, brand-new car, right, white one. And she just kind of cuts me off. And I swerved to miss her. The sprinklers were on. The roads were wet. My tires were bald. And guess what? Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, I spun the car, bounced off the curb, Bounced off the railing. I saw my battery roll down, plop in the water. Brand new Sears Die Hard. Saw my brass hammer roll off, plop right in the water. Smacked my leg on the uh, on the door handle. Other than that, I was fine. And uh, I didn't go off into the drink, so I was good. And there I am, sitting here all by myself. My car's hitting on the left front and the right rear. Because I spun around in a circle. First time. Now, imagine that. You're 16 years old and you wipe your car out. Your pride and joy. Even though it's 475 500 bucks by the time you figure in the battery... You know, that was my, and, and, and I had close to $650 in it because I had my exhaust system on it. So, anyway, that's what happened to me on December 7th, 1972. So, that was 44 years ago. I had to say goodbye to my Healy. Now, Glowwater Imports was over on uh, Gulf of the Bay, right behind Sanders Paint and Body, which is where the car got towed into. And uh, now, get get this. Now, granted, Little Miss Money Penny was sold new at Glowwater Imports on Gulf of the Bay in 1974. It's probably sitting around the car lot. Um, well, maybe the next year it was. But at any rate, so here I go to a British car place. Now, there's differences between a BJ7, a BT7, a BJ8 early, and a BJ8 late. Okay, now I did not know this, but you would think that a British car place would know that. They actually told me that they could not find parts for my car. So I scoured three or four junkyards in Pinellas County and uh, finally found parts. But what, what happens? I found the wrong parts because of different years. I get thoroughly disgusted. They take advantage of me. They gave me a $900 storage bill. And I'm scared. I don't know how to pay this because I don't have 900 bucks right now because that's more than the car. So uh, anyway, I ended up selling it for 800 bucks, lost 100 bucks. So if anybody knows where my Healy is out there, I want my Healy back. Hey, you're tuning into uh, to Nostalgia Gaming Cars. We're going to play little animals here. House of the Rising Sun. Hey, don't touch that doubt. We'll be right back.
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt. At the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. Where can you find the best tasting authentic Caribbean food in Tampa Bay? It's all at Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant in downtown Largo. Island Vibes has delicious jerk chicken, fresh seafood, Caribbean soup, salads, sandwiches, and more. Don't miss happy hour from 4 p.m. to close and live entertainment on Friday nights. Check out Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant at 351 West Bay Drive in Largo or call 727-240-4420. To check out their amazing Caribbean menu, visit Sweet islandvibes.com Hey guys, this is Robert from Nostalgic Rating Cars and you know I dig stuff out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a shop in town specializing in vintage, retro, mid-century collectibles. Everything from toys, games, pinball machines, video games, fashion items, TV lunch boxes, slot cars, models, and more. Bobby, what's the name of that store? The, the cool, cool Shop. Shop. Yes, located at 9265 Seminole Boulevard in Seminole, Florida. Give them a shout, 727-201-9489. The, the Cool, cool shop.com hi i'm barry mcguire host of car crazy television and you're listening to nostalgic radio and cars okay we're back and uh yeah that's why we played the uh house of the rising sun because that's kind of a a blues song and i've got the austin healy blues right now so at any rate all right let me tell you what's going on here this weekend december 11th over quaker state and lube is a christmas party the uh, week after, on the 17th, is Largo's Parade. And with a little luck, we'll be in that parade with our uh, trusty, reliable, and well-fixed up, or I should say, what's, what's what I'm looking at, Christmassy? Uh, kind of like, yes. What? What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, the Christmas, Largo Christmas Parade, we'll have the rollback in there, and we'll have our little reindeer thing. Oh, and yeah, our big uh, NRC sleigh. Yeah, 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 That's our big NRC sleigh. Yeah, Nostalgia Radio Car Sleigh. And don't forget... Uh, That's at 12 o'clock. That's at 12 o'clock. And, of course, we'll be at the DuPont Cars and Coffee Christmas Car Show. Christmas cars and coffee in the morning on that day. So that's what's going on there. So anyway, hey, we got a uh, very uh, delightful and interesting guest coming on a little bit later. Uh, can, can I bring up some? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. On a lighter note? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, wait a minute, real quick. It's uh, next door here at uh, Nutty Nancy's. we got open mic night. And tomorrow, Island Vibes Restaurant has got open mic night. So Sign up at 5.30 to 6.30. Uh, tell your friends to be there by 6.30 to hear some great local talent. That's right. That's right. And, and uh, yes, on a lighter note. Jim Morrison was born on December 8th. Jim Morrison of The Doors, one yes. of our favorite bands. And if you listen to our show, our favorite song is Break On Through to the Other Side, which is what we try to do during every radio show. Right, Bobby? 
any right. rate, okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go ahead and have Bobby call and get our guests on the line. We're going to play our little music clip form and our little uh, segue movie clip that we're going to do this time, which, uh, of course, we, you know, it's Pearl Harbor Day, so we played Pearl Harbor the first time, but our guest likes Western, so I did, had to go through my little Western portfolio of movies, trailers. Hey, I like this song. Now, there's been a number of renditions on this one, but this one's done by Bobby Darren. This is uh, what I'd say. Is that the name of the song, Bobby? That's right. Okay. Hey, you're tuning into the studs for getting cars. Don't touch that doll. We'll be right back with our special guest for the evening. stops at nothing. Bank robberies, train robberies, and killing. Fane and his gang raided the McCandles ranch and kidnapped little Jake McCandles. They held him for one million dollars in ransom. They weren't afraid of the army, and they weren't afraid of the Texas Rangers. And they thought his grandfather, Big Jake McCandles, was dead. He wasn't. It took a million-dollar kidnapping to bring Big Jake back home to his family, to his son, James. Good morning, Daddy. Daddy? Daddy. Daddy. Well, son, since you haven't learned to respect your elders, it's time you learn to respect your betters. His son, Michael. You hurt? No. And to his wife, Martha. I was wrong. You haven't changed, have you, Jacob McCandles? Not one bit. Big Jake took his two sons, a half-blind Apache and a wild dog, deep into Mexico. One way or another, they had to pay off John Fane and his gang. You got to deliver that box to us. You got to put it right in our hands. Somebody takes that box away from you. We won't be understanding. We won't wait. We won't try again. I'll just send that boy's body back to you in a basket. You understand? Every cutthroat killer, every two-bit thief tried getting that red box. Instead, they got Big Jake and his two sons. There's a little eight-year-old boy somewhere out there, scared and lonely and probably wondering what's happened to his world. We came here to find him and take him home, alive if possible. Now you understand. Anything goes wrong, anything at all. Your fault, my fault, nobody's fault. It don't matter. 
I'm gonna blow your head off. It's as simple as that. So one night in May, Big Jake McCandless had a final showdown with John Fane and his gang. Who are you? Jacob McCandle. I thought you was dead. Not hard. Hello, this is the annoying Jay Leno, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. Yes, thank you, Mr. Jay Leno. And he will be returning after the first of the year. So, uh, matter of fact, he's going to be, I believe, at Celebration, uh, filming one of his TV shows, Jay Leno's Garage. So, all right, without further ado, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is also an entertainer. He's a car collector, and he's a fellow radio guy. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening. And, and he won the Chairman's Award at Festivals of Speed this weekend with a very interesting car, 1975, if I'm correct. That's Bearcat. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Ron Sedgy. Ron, are you there? Hey, Robert, how you doing? Good to be with you. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on. And uh, again, congratulations on your award this weekend. With that, uh, I got to tell you, you saw how excited I was. I was really blown away because, as I mentioned to you, I've never even won a scratch-off for the lottery. I mean, this was a big deal for me. And I got it placed right in the middle of my living room so that... All of my friends can come in and say that I finally won something. I was sensational. I was blown away. I really was. Thank you, sir. Well, you, uh, you and the car are very deserving of that, you know. And and when we do these uh, awards, you know, we have the junior awards and we have the senior awards, and you won the senior award, of course. And uh, it's it's about the car and the people. You know, a lot of people think it's it's just them. It's really the car, but always there's a car. And there's a people story or person story, a personal story that goes along with it. And you had a very unique one there. So, um, matter of fact, why don't you just tell us a little bit about that car? Because for those people that don't know, the, the car was kind of brought out back in the uh, 70s. And somebody had bought the rights to the name. Correct me if I'm wrong now. Let me just tell my little story, then you can correct me. And uh, so somehow they got a hold of, I guess, General Motors. And uh, they used basically a Pontiac Grand Prix 73 to 77 chassis. And then the cars, I believe, were built in Italy. So as, am I right so far? Oh, you got it right right on the money there. What had happened was that car, Stutz, that nameplate, and the nameplate of Duesenberg were huge names back in the 20s and 30s. And when the uh, Depression came, those cars, which were expensive even for today's terms, uh, went by the wayside. And they become, of course, the Doozy and the Stutz, and that was the end of it. Well, back in about 1969, there was a banker out of New York who tried to buy the rights to the name Duesenberg and couldn't put it together. So he bought the name Stutt. And that's exactly what happened. They built a prototype on a 1969 Grand Prix uh, with a 455 horse 7.5 liter, and they took the body entirely off the car once it arrived in Torino, Italy, and they built the custom body that you see on that car. There were only 550 of those built between... 1969 and 1986. And the story goes on because what had happened was the dealer, and his name escapes me for just a second, but I'll I'll get it. He had a big dealership. He had a Pontiac dealership out in Los Angeles, and he brought the car over to Elvis Presley while he was running a home in Bel Air. And he showed the car to Elvis, and Elvis said, boy, I'm in. And the car at the time uh, Robert, was more expensive than a Rolls-Royce at the time, all hand-built, all, all steel, very heavy car. And um, 
have it to you in about 60 to 90 days. And he says, well, why can't I have this one? And he says, well, this is the demo. There's only two built, and that was the the concept car, and then this one, and I have to show it to uh, different people that might be interested out here in Hollywood. And Elvis said, well, let me ask you a question. Would I get noticed more driving it, or would you get noticed more driving it? And he handed Elvis the keys, and he says, can we borrow it for a car show in two weeks? And that was the end of the story. Wow, that's incredible. Now, I just learned something. I didn't know they built them in 69 and 70. I thought there were 73 to 77 cars. No, they, they were actually, the, the first concept car was built in late 68, early 69. Oh. And, and there's pictures of it online that are really fascinating, the way they built this body on this thing. And then, um, oh, about uh, 1969 was when they presented it to Elvis. And he bought a 19, that car that they had in 69, was a 70s version. And they built it until 1986. And they had different variations of it. Uh, I have the Blackhawk. Uh, then they uh, also made four doors, and those were called Portes, P-O-R-T-E. And I think uh, we talked about that at the car show Sunday. Uh, Kenny Rogers had one. They weren't as sleek-looking. And then they start building a Bearcat, which was the convertible. They built, like, three limousines for some Arab sheiks uh, in the Middle East, and they were not very desirable because the longer the car got, the more stuff they put on it, and it looked like one of those 1975 Eldorados from the 70s where they just kept on piling things on it, you know, and that's what it looked like. But the coupe, like I have, and the convertible were very popular and owned, well, Frank Sinatra wanted that one that Elvis got. He wanted it. And so the dealer out there said, would you be willing to take a picture of me handing the keys to you? And he said, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to endorse it. Later on, he went on and endorsed, the, of course, the Imperial or Chrysler Corporation, but a fellow Italian, Lee Iacocca, asked him to do that. So <laughs> what he did was he said, I won't take the picture. Elvis said, hey, I don't care. I'll take the picture. And he took the picture, and he got the car and went on to buy three more. Wow, that's a fascinating story. Interesting. <coughs> All right, and, now, and go, the, go ahead. No, And, and the car really, uh, i got to be honest with you, it turns heads. I mean, it's a... And it's a great riding car. I mean, I have their cars that are, you know, that are nice cars. This car rides like a dream. It's a 1975, and it just turns heads. Uh, and, of course, you don't, I, I, I get a chuckle sometimes when people say, boy, you don't see that car around anymore. Well, I don't know <laughs> if anybody's ever seen that car around anymore. You, you certainly don't see it coming down the street when you're going north and the one's coming south. You just don't, That's not a, an issue with that car. Well, strangely enough, uh, there was a dealership, Oldsmobile dealership, at slash Mercedes-Benz dealership here in Clearwater, Florida, called Loki Motors, and Loki's still around. And um, the father, the owner, um, Mr. Loki, who's actually friends with the um, with the owner of the radio station here by coincidence, when he, in the 70s, they were selling Mercedes-Benzes and they were selling Oldsmobiles, but he somehow got the franchise to sell Stutzes. And I just remember those cars because he drove, a, I believe it was a Burgundy one, just like yours. He actually had a couple of them, but he always drove a two-door, and they were just a stunning Stunning car, and your car is extremely stunning, and you've got a beautiful color combination. That burgundy is absolutely gorgeous. You know, at one time, I was going to change that to pearl white, and I had more people tell me I was absolutely crazy, and then I saw one that was owned by Ricardo Maltabon, and he had one that was the color of mine, only the section below the chrome was all silver, and that looked nice, too, but I've decided just to keep it the way it is because that really was a popular color, burgundy, 
from about 1966 till about no, 1978. So I think i got to keep it the way it is. Plus, when you start painting it a different color, you know this, you're experienced at this. you got the door wells, under the hood stuff to do. It just becomes, it looks like a painted car, unless it's a frame-up restoration. Well, and it's original, so you need to leave it. That's, right. That's what that's the value exactly is. exactly right. So, Ron, tell us, take us back in the time a little bit. Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are. Let our listeners know uh, that you've uh, been in the radio business for a while, the entertainment business for a while, and, of course, you, you're a car enthusiast. And name off some of the celebrities that you've had uh, on your radio show as well. Well, it's funny because I got into the talk business about 26 years ago. My, when I originally started, I was only 14 years old when I started out of, uh, in fact, I was uh, in 10th grade in high school. And I, I really wanted to be a radio announcer. In fact, I had a little radio station in my basement that could be heard in a couple-block radius that I built uh, in my hometown of Erie, Pennsylvania. And what had happened was I went to high school, junior high school, well, senior high school, I guess was 10th grade, and one of the teachers there happened to be a radio and television announcer in addition to being a school teacher. So I immediately gravitated to him, and I you know, wanted him to come over to my home and they came over, saw the station. The next night, they brought the program director back, and they listened in the kitchen with my parents and came downstairs into the basement about 20 minutes later and said, you're hired. So here I was, uh, you know, about 14, 14 and a half, and I had this full-time job at a radio station. But it was a funny deal because, and I, and I tell the story, and my family is so tired of hearing it, but it's the truth. I was about seven years old. And my dad and I were together on a Sunday afternoon. My mother was out with some lady friends. I have older brothers, and they were out uh, partying or doing whatever they do on a Sunday afternoon. And he asked me, where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go to a radio station. Because I just gotten back from a trip to California and saw Bob Barker doing the Truth or Consequences show and Tennis Ernie Ford doing his television show. So I was all enthused about this broadcasting thing. And I went to that station, and at seven years old, I came home and I told my dad, I said, you know what, that's what I want to do. He wasn't real happy about that because he was in the storm window and home improvements business, and he wanted me to go into that. But I, that's what I wanted to do, and that's when I built a little station in my basement. And it's ironic that the gentleman I went to go see at that radio station when I was seven years old then became a competitor of mine while I was working at a station across from him then became a cohort of mine when I worked with him. And then when I bought an FM station in that town many years later, I tried to hire him as my morning man. And to the day he died, we remained very, very close friends. It's, it's kind of a unique story. But then I, I went on to a couple more stations in that area, uh, had an advertising agency for a while, then bought my first FM station when I was, uh, I guess it was the 29. 29, back in 1980. Uh, but in the beginning of that decade, in the early 70s, I you know, always liked music. I mean, that's one of the reasons I fell in love with the radio business, because it was all about music. You and I talked about that. Mm -hmm. So I started doing some singing, and ironically, uh, recorded a couple songs, had a little band, four pieces, with a couple of girl backup singers, and uh, ended up recording a couple of songs, and one of which was uh, nominated for a Grammy Award back in 1972, the year that Don McLean won for American Pie. So when I came down to Florida, because I owned the station down here, I decided that I didn't want to be in ownership anymore. I want to go back on the air. And, of course, personality music radio was vanishing very quickly. So I uh, opened a production company, World Broadcasting, and we... Um, put together a promotional campaign 
endorsement, you know, that type of thing with Universal Studios. And my studios and offices were on the uh, back lot of Universal Pictures here in Orlando. And for 23 years, we originated our show on a national basis from that location. And just about two and a half years ago, I built my own facility uh, off-premises, and it was done very well since then. And I went back to singing. I tour now in the Florida area with a 15-piece orchestra and two backup singers. Do a nationally syndicated radio show that's kind of like the Tonight Show of Radio Hall Celebrities. And I do that on the USA Radio Network and the Cable Radio Network. And um, got our hands on a couple of things. Uh, was for many years a partner of my pal, my best pal, Ed McMahon. Uh, we did radio shows together. We toured country with a show called Tonight Show Memories, and uh, I had the honor of doing his eulogy at his uh, funeral tribute at the uh, Radio and Television Museum of Arts and Sciences in uh, Los Angeles in 2009, uh, a job I was honored to have, but wish I didn't have to do it. Wow. That, Gee, that, is... sounds, that sounds like an obituary, what I just did, doesn't it? Well, no, I mean, if you read between the lines there a little bit, that's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, most people, if you remember, Ed McMahon was basically the, uh, the what would you call it? He was basically Johnny Carson's right-hand man, you know. on the on Yes, the, he was. And with Doc Severinsen. Is Doc Severinsen still around? Oh, yeah. Doc is about 88. Mm-hmm. Just saw him, I played a show with him in Las Vegas with Ed and I, and I'm trying to think of the name of the place. Uh, it was owned by Michael Gaughan. I can't think of the name of it right now. He now owns South Point. And Doc, I just saw, played a concert, 88 or 89 years old. I saw it on Facebook, turned up the audio, and absolutely was blown away. The guy still sounds like $10 million. It's ironic. A nice man. Funny guy. I mean, he could have been a comedian. He really, he's a funny, funny guy. That's incredible. Now, speaking of somebody else who used to show up on Johnny Carson all the time, how about Buddy Rich? Did you ever get a chance to meet him, drummer? I never, I never met Buddy Rich. I've seen him in concert a couple of times. He passed through my hometown, but I never saw him in concert. Kind of a tough uh, guy to get close to because, I mean, he was out there, but what, what a talent. But I did get to know Ed Shaughnessy, who was Johnny's drummer, okay. and many times was on The Tonight Show uh, with Buddy Rich, and they'd have the competition between Ed Shaughnessy and Buddy Rich. Shaughnessy was unbelievable, really unbelievable. Uh-huh. Wow, man, you've got some some great uh, past there. I mean, that's a, that's pretty impressive. So, how often do you get out to Vegas? Well, I used to go when I was Ed's announcer for his TV show, Next Big Star. We went out every other week. Uh, I have not been out there in a, a little over a year. I just lost a good friend there last week, Joe Esposito. Uh, Joe was Elvis Presley's uh, best friend and best man at his wedding and road manager, and he just passed away. But um, and he lived out there for years, and I wanted to get out there and see him before he died. But I'm planning on going out there this spring. Uh, I, I love that town. I really do. You know, it's funny you had to talk about Ed. When Ed and I first got together and he asked me to be his announcer on this television show that he did, which was a follow-up to Star Search, he came to me and we were having dinner here in Orlando, and he said, I want to know if you'd be my announcer. And I looked at him rather strange, and I said, you want me to be your announcer? (laughs) And he said, yes. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Let me make sure I'm straight on this. Probably the most famous announcer wants me to be his announcer. I just want to get this straight. 
And he said, yeah, why do you keep asking me that? I said, because one other question I have, and it's financial. And he looked at me like, you got to be kidding me, right? And I said, who pays who? <laughs> That's a good one. And of course, he, 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 lo- he loved that, and, uh, and he paid me. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's been, you know, like the, like the broadcasting and the entertainment business, there's ups and downs, and uh, those were a few of the ups. Were you ever, you mentioned star shows, were you ever involved in any of that? Did you help out with any of that, doing any announcing on that show? No, I never did. That was before I met Ed, but I used to laugh because he'd come over to my house here in Orlando, and he'd stay for three, four, five, six days at a time, and I have a, a music studio, and so I'd be, he'd be on the couch there uh, with his favorite dirty martini, and I'd, he'd, and I'd be singing, and he'd say, uh, uh, sing this song, sing that song, sing this song, sing that song, you know? And I says, you know, Ed, all those years you were in Star Search and I didn't know you. Now I have an exclusive audience with you in my home, and you're not doing that show anymore. That only goes <laughs> to show how my luck has been running of late. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because Star Search really was the forerunner to all these other entertainment shows where a lot of these unknown celebrities uh, have had the opportunity to get discovered. Really, if you think about There's it, right? There's no doubt about it. America's Got Talent, The Voice. All of these shows are basically the template of Star Search, maybe a different format mm-hmm. in how they're judged, but not really that different. Mm-hmm. And, and that show was so popular, was responsible for so many careers. And I, the only thing I don't know is if, and I, you know, very bad all of the judges on from America's Got Talent, uh, I don't know if a lot of those artists on that show take off to the degree that they did on Star Search. I mean, Terry Fader is a huge success, the ventriloquist that won on America's Got Talent. But, you know, when you talk about Star Search, you're talking about Beyonce. You're talking about Brad Garrett. You're talking about Ray Romano. You're talking about Sinbad. You know, you're talking about a lot of people. They got that start. And I don't see that happening on America's Got Talent for some reason. Um, no, I, I, you know, I don't follow it that much, but, uh, you, you may be right in that respect regards. Now, Star Search was actually filmed here in Orlando, wasn't it? Well, some episodes. Oh, some uh, episodes? What okay. they would do, yeah, what they would do, they filmed it on the West Coast, but like a lot of TV shows at the time, Wheel of Fortune has done it, Jeopardy has done it, uh, they, they'll come, uh, America's Funniest Videos, uh, America's Bloopers and Practical Jokes, they will occasionally come to Florida and they did Star Search come to uh, Florida, and they came to Disney, and did some episodes there because they, you know, they get an opportunity to get a different market, different uh, influx of people with talent in that geographical area. But they did do it here, yeah. Interesting. So, what are your thoughts on uh, the future of radio? Since you're a radio guy, what's your what's your thoughts there? Well, that's a loaded question. Is it a loaded you know, question? I have. Well, you know what? It, 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 and it's a good question. I have uh, a lot of debates with millennials in my life, but uh, here's, here's my attitude. They said radio was going to die when television came. It got bigger. Uh, they're, now they're saying because of uh, satellite radio, because of the Internet, because of all of the devices, iHeart, all of these different devices that now you can get music, they say that, you know, radio is gone. I don't believe that, and I don't believe that not because I'm just saying it because I'm in the broadcasting business. I don't believe it. I really don't. Uh, there's a target out there. I get response on my national show. You get response on your show. 
I don't believe it's gone. I still think that uh, until every car in the world gets free satellite radio, and I'm not saying that that's not going to happen, I, I question it. But what I'm saddened about are two things. First of all, personality radio is gone in the music business. In the old days, and I hate to use that term because I, when people use it on me, I say, I don't want to hear about the old days. I want to hear about today. But in the old days, frankly, what had happened was that you had music and you had personality disc jockeys. Now you don't. Okay, the, the disc jockeys, in some cases, maybe the morning show, but from that point forward, it, it's not really a, a going entity. The only place you get personalities now are on talk shows. But the thing that really killed radio, local radio, in my book, and it's not too late to save it, is the deregulation of radio and television stations owned by m- more stations owned by one group. In other words, the way it is today, if you own a standalone radio station, AM and or FM, you're kind of like trying to get a grocery store, mom and pop, next to a Publix or a hardware store next to Home Depot. It, it, it doesn't work that way anymore. And when you have five or six or ten radio stations owned by one conglomerate, sure, it makes that entity real successful, but it really and truly does not diversify programming public opinion on the air, and just good general competition. I mean, the competition is gone because you're only competing with maybe another broadcaster who also has six stations in town. So I think it needs to get back to where a mom and pop run a radio station. You know what? You, you, you hit the nail on the head. We've had this discussion here in our studio many, many, many times. And uh, you're right, because, look, for example, the and, and a lot of people don't know this, but let's say, for example, you listen to some of the, the ones that are owned by uh, CBS or Clear Channel or something like that, whoever else is out there, because they always change their names. Right. But they, they, uh, buy, they buy a commercial package. It's the same redundant music. There's, you know, uh, they might have a disc jockey there, but he only pops in once in a while. He doesn't right. bond with the listeners, and that's what you're talking about. The personalities bond with the listeners almost to the point where, Ron, you're my best friend. You know, or Bobby, mm-hmm. you're my best friend, or Billy, you're my best right. friend. I know you. Right. I hear you every day. And, uh, yeah, that's what's missing. You know, it's funny because a lot of these successful radio talk hosts were music disc jockeys and could not tolerate, as I can't, going back to that format unless it's an oldie station and, you know, those are dying off little by little, but too. But Don Imus was, of course, a music disc jockey. Uh, so was Howard Stern, uh, Cousin Brucie, but he still does an oldie show, I think, on one of the satellite channels. But uh, the days of that personality where you actually sat down and you knew who Bobby was and who Ronnie was, and you went and they made personal appearances, and, you know, they did contests on the air that were fun. Gone. Gone. And now it's a corporate entity. And you see, the reason they did this initially was they said it would help radio and television survive because you have with the economies of scale of one engineering maybe one accounting department maybe one sales department and three or four sources of revenue stream coming in but not as much going out because you're amortizing it over four or five or six different radio or television stations but what it has done it has caused the monopoly and now the mom and, and i say mom and pop affectionately and i'm not talking about you know I'm talking about small companies that go into the radio business or a television business because the same thing is applicable there, and they don't have 
those economies of scale, and they don't have the conglomerate behind them, and they don't have the cash flow behind it. And then the FCC says, well, hey, look, you know, these stations can't survive. That's why we did this conglomerate thing. Well, they can't survive because they can't stand up against the conglomerate. If they get rid of the conglomerate, then those stations, those single-owned stations or double-owned stations in the market can survive because they did before. Absolutely. Jeez, I, think I, run for, I think I should run for office. You know, yeah. I think Trump's in trouble. Well, I might be able to take over here. Whoa, 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 whoa. You just brought <laughs> up the magic man right there. And I was looking through your on your website, okay, ronsedgy.com, okay, for all you guys out there, all the listeners. That's who our special guest is this evening. And it seemed to me that Donald Trump was on your show at one time as a guest. Oh, he's been on my show several times. Several. In fact, I wish I had queued up the last time he was on because I asked him if he becomes president, will he make me his announcer? And he paid me this real nice compliment. And I don't have that queued up, unfortunately, but I should because it was a real nice compliment. But uh, he's been on my show several times. His son, Donnie Jr., uh, Ivanka's been on. And, and a lot of those times were, of course, with the promotion of The Apprentice, Celebrity Apprentice. Uh-huh. But no, I've, he's been on my show a lot over the past five or six years. Well, I've been in contact with Hope Hicks, his personal PR lady, for a year and a half now, and we have yet. She always says, yeah, we'll get him on, we'll get him on. I've seen her at the rallies and stuff like that. I have yet to get Donald Trump on my show. That's that's well, that's a quest of ours. Well, you know, a, a good luck, and I hope that you do it. Uh, <laughs> Donnie Jr., uh, who I had conversations with uh, going back to a year ago this past June, and and then what I think happens is, especially now, I think there's kind of a uh, hiatus on some of these shows because right now I don't think they want anybody in, in, and that includes his extended team with the exception of his campaign manager, to really do anything because I think they're afraid that they don't want to get into a situation where there's a controversy before the inauguration. No, no, that's, that stands to reason. I understand that. And, and and we wouldn't even put him in that corner anyway, because uh, obviously we're big Trump supporters. In fact, when I call Hope all the time, I, and once in a while I get her on the phone, she answers. I said, we're the good media. You know, can remember the good witch and the wicked witch? I said, we're the good yeah. we're the good media. That's how I kind of paraphrase yeah. it. Yeah, I, I've said the same thing, and they know that. Is The fact is that, and I don't want anybody to think that a, a radio station is going to back them into the corner just to be able to get some publicity so that station or that talk show is going to uh, make national news. I, I the, Very clear, what you're doing is the right thing to do, Robert. Really, it is the right thing to do. Thank you. Well, Ron, we're just about up against the clock. Do you want to go ahead and plug your website a little bit and tell us if you're going to make any appearances anywhere that people can come in and uh, see you and check out uh, your show, or, or if your car is going to make an appearance someplace? Well, I, I have to tell you that I'm excited we have two websites. One website is Ron com R-O-N-S-E-G-G-I.com. That is pretty much dedicated to our nationally syndicated radio show. Uh, the show airs on the weekends on the USA Network and Cable Radio Network, but if you can't hear it in your marketplace, starting on Sundays, that show is archived, so you can hear it on demand 24-7. And then if you go to our new website, which is Seggy Sings, again, S-E-G-G-I-Sings.com, that is totally dedicated to our concert series, and we are going to be in Sanford, Florida, which is not too far from you guys, uh, up in Sanford, Florida, at the Wayne Dench Theater on December 17th. We're taking the first part of the show, and we're doing what we normally do, and then we're going to take the second part of the show, and it's going to be dedicated to all the great Christmas songs of the season. So um, we're, we're 
out there, and anybody's certainly invited to check it out, make a comment, and uh, we'd love to have you. And, Robert, i got to tell you something. I know you're running out of time. I really appreciate what you uh, have done. You, you've done a heck of a job. I watched you very closely at the Festival of Speed. You're a terrific talent, one to be reckoned with, and uh, you're going to be uh, making a major mark here in this business, I guarantee you. Well, thank you very much, Rob. We are up against the clock. Thank you very much. I want to thank my special guest, Ron Sedgy. Check out his website, ronsedgy.com. Ron, you take care. Have a Merry Christmas. In the meantime, you all do. my listeners, don't forget, every Tuesday night, Nostalgia Wedding Cars, the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports on the Tantalk Radio Network here at 7 p.m. And don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Nostalgia Wedding Cars, the podcast. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. To be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you ten dollars if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. Right